Just a reminder, the views expressed on the kibitz are solely those of the guests and do not reflect the opinions of the podcast's hosts or its sponsors. Hey, have you got your tickets for our Catskills Kibitz in Los Angeles on December 13th? It's going to be a live taping of the Kibitz with special guests Michael Showalter, Moshe Kasher, and the Living Sisters. It's going to be amazing. Plus, we will have some dreidel competitions and we'll be setting the world record for the most number of people eating a pastrami sandwich at once. So bring your appetite. Tickets are still available at our website, kibitzpod.com events. And $5 of every ticket goes to relief efforts in Puerto Rico. A few weeks ago, I asked listeners to send in jokes to our Facebook page to cheer up frequent kibitz guest, my 97-year-old Nana. Well, I have some good news. The jokes worked. She's out of the hospital and feeling better back at home. So special thanks to Jason Shoulder, who hosts the Learning to Fail podcast, and his amazing uncle, who has got very good joke delivery, I have to say, as well as Sydney Gold from New York for all their jokes. They were really appreciated. So thanks again. And last, we are giving away Kibitz swag for free. You can learn more about it on our website at kibitzpod.com. Scroll to the bottom of the homepage and you'll find out details on how to win. And now, on with the episode. If you really want to protect your own people, you can't just stand up for your own people. You have to stand up for the human rights of all people. You have to stand up for the human rights of all refugees. And then you can fight for yourself within that rubric. That's Mark Hetfield, the CEO of Hyas, the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society. Lately, Hyas has been leading the charge against the Trump administration's attempt to ban most refugees from coming to the United States. Back in 1882, Hyas was originally formed to assist Jews fleeing pogroms in Russia and Eastern Europe. Today, Hyas rescues people whose lives are in danger for being who they are protecting the most vulnerable refugees, helping them build new lives and reuniting them with their families in safety and freedom. They also advocate for the protection of refugees and assure that displaced people are treated with the dignity they deserve. We were incredibly lucky to get an interview with Mark as one might imagine he's got a lot on his plate these days. The work Hyas does is amazing and I think you'll really enjoy the interview. Hi, I'm Dan Crane. And I'm Dan's co-host, Jessica Chaffin, and you're listening to The Kibitz, the podcast about Jewish ideas and culture. Welcome to this special mini episode, a follow-up to our conversation about immigration and refugees. Here again is Mark Hetfield. I'm Mark Hetfield. I'm the president and CEO of Hyas which is the world's oldest refugee agency um, established in 1881 to help Jews who are fleeing the pogroms in Russia and Eastern Europe. And I know that the, the, the mission of Hyas has changed a little bit uh, recently, which I guess was partially under your leadership. Um, and so why the shift? Well, we like to say that the mission of Hyas hasn't really changed. We, we started out as an agency to welcome refugees and protect them, and that's what we're still doing today. The only thing that's changed is uh, who we're helping. We, we like to say that we were established to help refugees because they were Jewish, and today we help refugees because we are Jewish. So we're, we're doing very much the same work as we started doing in, in 1881, 
But this time, we're in a much more fortunate position. We no longer have to help our own who are fleeing anti-Semitism and persecution. Instead, we can turn our attention and our experience to helping others who are going through now what we went through then. And uh, I would imagine that you've been uh, you've been fairly busy lately, <laughs> uh, considering everything. We've been, uh, uh, yeah, we've been busier than ever lately. Uh, it's been very frenetic. Uh, to say the least, because the not only are there more refugees than there ever have been before, but U.S. policy toward refugees is changing literally every week. <laughs> so it's been and changing and changing 180 degrees every week. Not not in matters of uh, small increments, but 180 degree changes every week. So. Uh, yes, it's been keeping us very, very busy. And so were you involved in terms of uh, not only just resettling and uh, helping helping uh, refugees resettle, but also in terms of policymaking? Yeah, no, we are we are very we've we've long been engaged in policymaking. And in fact, that's for refugees. And um, that's the way that we have our biggest impact. I mean, it's really important for us to serve individuals and to welcome individual refugees. But we have a, an even bigger impact by trying to influence refugee policy. And that's one of the main reasons why we moved our headquarters from New York after over 130 years to the Washington, D.C. area, because uh, that has become such an important focus of our work and such an important place for us to have impact. Hmm. Uh, and another thing is, you know, traditionally, we have partnered with the U.S. government uh, since the passage of the Refugee Act of 1980, HIAS, has been one of the nine partners of the U.S. government in refugee resettlement. And while that partnership continues, uh, we now are also an adversary of the U.S. government. We've actually had to take the U.S. government to court. Uh, we're now in Supreme Court um, suing the Trump administration over refugee policy issues. Uh, so uh, the nature of that relationship has really Changed. We are both a partner and an adversary of the U.S. government right now. Wow. Dare I ask how it's all going at this point? Given where we are and given what this administration's refugee priorities are, it's going fairly well um, because we have been prevailing in court. Uh, we've been challenging these changes to refugee policy. We did this reluctantly. I mean, going to court was really our last resort, and, and not just because we don't like to sue our partner. Um, not because, not just because we don't really want to be a plaintiff in these cases, which we are now for for the first time. But we, uh, uh, the bottom line is that the the president has a lot of authority when it comes to refugee policy, and he, in fact, I don't know of any court case where um, a refugee issue has been successfully litigated until now, um, because they're they're what we've discovered uh, the way in the way that it should be is that there should be some limits to presidential authority in terms of how refugees are treated. And the president exceeded those limits uh, within his first week in office. And we called him on it, and uh, we've, we've been prevailing. Like on the Supreme Court case, the, was that actually highest that was leading that case, or did that sort of bubble up from the state courts or the you know the federal courts? Yeah, so what happened was highest um, is one of the two main plaintiffs in a case in federal court in Maryland in, in the Fourth Circuit. Uh, and then states brought separate actions, uh, the state of Washington and Minnesota initially, and then the state of Hawaii. Um, the Hawaii case and the case that we brought have been basically consolidated in the Supreme Court. 
And um, in fact, the, the most recent rulings out of Hawaii, which restarted the refugee program yet again, um, was we, the, uh, the judge, uh, Judge Watson, actually quoted the, the declaration that I submitted and the highest uh, brief that we submitted on that case uh, four times in the course of his ruling. So why do you think the Jews are and should be on the front line of this issue? Well, um, for one thing, what we've discovered is that if you, if you really want to protect your own people, you can't just stand up for your own people. You have to stand up for the human rights of all people. You have to stand up for the human rights of all refugees, and then you can fight for yourself within that rubric. But you can't just ask for special treatment for yourself. That's, that's tribalistic, and uh, that, that's, uh, that's, that's not a very effective strategy, as I think we learned in the, uh, in the 1930s. Um, when, when there were basically no human rights, uh, that protected refugees and asylum seekers. Now there are, and it's up to us not to just fight for Jewish refugees, but to fight for the rights of all refugees to make sure that those human rights that are already on the books for refugees are protected. Um, and, 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 uh, so it's up to us to be kind of the, the guardian of those, uh, of the human rights for refugees because they were, they were basically established because the world did not do what it should have done when Jews needed protection uh, in the 1930s and 1940s. And now that we've got that protection, now that we have international law that actually protects refugees, we have to make sure that those laws are enforced for everybody, including ourselves. Do you have any kind of recent successes, sort of stories of of resettling refugees? I mean, I know it's been the, the past several months have not been easy, but ha- have there been any successes? Oh yeah, I mean there there have been many successes. I mean, first of all, you know, in in on the on the macro level, um, there's been a huge success. The refugee resettlement program is basically still occurring because of refugee cases that you know because of the litigation that we have brought. Uh, so there's certainly that on a macro level, but uh, but in terms of a person by person, family by family level, there are also very many successes. Uh, because every, every family we save is every family we settle. It, it's, uh, it, it's, it, it's a, it's a tremendous act. Uh, we, we say to save one life is to save the world. And we've done that many thousands of times over, uh, this year and, and last year alone. And every family has, has a very compelling story. And, and I will say that, of course, Syrian refugees in particular come from a country that, um, does not have a very positive opinion of, of Jews, certainly of Israel, but, but of Jews either. And, uh, and, and Syrian refugees, most of them have never even met a Jew because Syrian Jews left Syria uh, decades ago. And uh, so their first experience in the United States are encounters with the Jewish Family Service Agency that resettles them in partnership with Hyatt. The Jewish Family Service Agency picks them up at the airport gets them in their new home, gets their kids in school, helps them find jobs. And so Syrian refugee family after Syrian refugee family tells us that they know now that everything they learned about Jews in Syria was a lie, that the, that what they call Jewish family is always there for them, has done more for them than anybody else has in their life, and that they'll never forget it as long as they live. So every single refugee family we resettle whether it's by the Jewish Family Service of Pittsburgh or the Jewish Family Service of, of Buffalo or um, Metro West in, in Boston uh, it has a story like that. 
Uh, and, and that alone is, is a compelling reason for us to do this work. Yeah, I mean, and I imagine it's <laughs> there's sort of a, a delicate, um, I don't know, I mean, obviously, nobody's helping these people and then saying, uh, you know, by the way, we're Jewish, so <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> but, but I mean, how, do, how is that communicated? It's pretty obvious. I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious. And I, I think it is, um, it is discussed. Uh, they, 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 they're made to know that and they often, and they know it before they arrive in most cases. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they have to go to the Jewish family service agency for their services. And as you know, many times the Jewish family service agencies are on a campus with other Jewish agencies or with the Jewish Federation. In the case of Buffalo, the Jewish family service is actually located inside of a synagogue. Uh, so, uh, you know, they, they know it. It's, it's quite clear, and it has never created a single problem for us. It has only created good feelings. That's great. That's amazing. So, I mean, you've been doing this for quite some time. Do you feel at this point optimistic or pessimistic about the present state of refugees uh, and immigration in, <laughs> in the U.S.? Well, we've survived worse. We've been doing this for 137 years, and we've seen nativism and, and xenophobia rear their ugly heads before. Um, and uh, we're, we're confident we're going to survive at this time. But it won't happen without a lot of effort and, and a lot of fighting. Uh, so that's, that's what we're prepared to do. What, what, it, what does give us a lot of confidence and that what has really built up our morale is that we do feel that we have an entire community behind us. When we were, we've been, we made this shift a long time ago. We started helping um, predominantly non-Jews um, two, two decades ago. And by 2006, the majority of our beneficiaries of our clients were not Jewish. And today the overwhelming majority are not Jewish. Uh, and frankly, the Jewish community didn't really notice Hyas anymore and, and had kind of forgotten about us and wasn't that interested in, in our work until about two years ago when the entire world woke up again to their refugee crisis and saw just how bad things had gotten, especially with the photograph of Elon Kurdi's little, little body on the beach in, in Turkey that really woke everybody up, including the American Jewish community. And since that time, we've really felt like we have that the community has our backs. We have uh, we had one statement, which was signed by over 2000 rabbis from 48 states representing all movements of Judaism, standing up for refugee resettlement and refugee protection. We have over 360 synagogues in the United States that signed on to the highest welcome campaign for refugees. And uh uh, if anything, the problem we have is we can't get them enough to do. They so badly want to be welcoming refugees to this country who simply aren't coming anymore. So we, we have that. We have a lot of support behind us. And uh, that's really good to know. That's been a really in- incredible strength for us. And they're not coming because of the the administration's current stance and, and, and all of that? Right. They, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> They're not coming because of the current of the administration's policy, and that that's one of the most unfortunate things is the the incredible amount of of bad information out there, of of really fake news that's been spread, uh, and frankly spread by by politicians, including our president. Uh, you know, uh, making analogies to the refugees that are resettled in the United States to the refugees that are arriving on the shores of Europe, and. 
while you know the, while the ones who are coming in the United States are actually hand picked, they're cherry picked, they're vetted, and they're brought here by the United States government. The ones who are arriving in Europe are in many cases fleeing for their lives, but they arrive unvetted and uninvited uh, seeking asylum. Uh, so it's a totally different situation. But what you're found is that when you shut your doors and don't make it possible to come in through legal means, people will find other ways to get in. And that's another reason why it's really important for us to have an orderly refugee resettlement process so that our government can maintain control over the process rather than having the process get control over us. So what can listeners do to help? I assume donating money can't hurt. Right. Donating money definitely cannot hurt, <laughs> but we need, we need more than that. Um, we, we need more than that. And right now, what we need more than anything is, is advocates. We need people to speak out for refugees. We need to be the louder voice out there. Um, and, uh, and, and we saw that in, uh, after the executive order of January 27th. On January 28th, we saw the airports were full of protesters, many of them Jewish, many of them highest supporters, demanding that refugees be allowed in. And that had a very profound and lasting impact on this. Um, uh, and, and we need to sustain that. Uh, since that time, the president has been more subtle in his tactics, not subtle, but more subtle than he was then. And uh, the, the protests have not been quite as loud as a result. And we have to make sure that we keep speaking out for refugees and make it clear that an America that does not welcome refugees is really not America. Um, and so we're, we're going to need a lot of help on that for the next three years. Well, I think you're doing amazing work and, uh, it's been, uh, it's been good to talk to you and, uh, hopefully, you know, it made me a little more optimistic uh, considering how, how dark the, the uh, current situation <laughs> well, is. But, you have uh, to take a long view on these things. Yeah, you really do. Absolutely. It's not the first time this has happened. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's, it really is a myth that America is a country that has always welcomed refugees. We really haven't. It's always been a struggle. Yeah. And refugees have never been welcomed with open arms here. They've always been, there's always been uh, mixed feelings about it. And there's always been uh, countervailing forces against it. But what we can say is that never have refugees harmed this country, right? In terms of uh, and I'm not saying never has a refugee done any harm, but I'm saying when you look back at over 200 years of history, when there were large flows of refugees coming in, there were always concerns voiced about security risks, about them coming from countries that are hostile to us, that have cultures that are not compatible with ours, um, but never has any long-term harm resulted from any of that. Refugees have always made us stronger. They've always made contributions to our economy. Um, they've always made contributions to our civil society. And they've never really harmed it, as far as, as, far as I can tell. As far as I know. Yeah. So we, we have to keep that in mind. Well, I agree. And uh, thanks so much. And uh, keep up the good work, I guess. And we'll uh, we'll send people to the website. Right, to uh, It's highest.org slash donate, I think, the, where people can donate and learn more about the highest in general. Great. Thank you so much. Uh, this episode was produced and edited by me, Dan Crane. Special thanks to my co-host, Jessica Chaffin, as well as Adam Sachs, Sarah DeLeo, David Jargowski, Francine Hermelin, and Reboot. Our music is courtesy of Ray and Remora, and our main theme is courtesy of Noon on Plu. And as my great-grandmother used to say, 
that's the way it is in a small town with a large population. Thanks for listening to The Kibbits.